paper cups inside of plastic cups. Welcome to Plastic Cups Inside Paper Cups Inside Plastic Cups. My name is Dennis Wilson, and this is... Omar Rabadi. Omar, how's it going? I'm doing okay. Uh, July 2nd, 2020. So it's kind of like the beginning of the weekend, Thursday night. Tomorrow's a day off for most people. So in that sense, I'm good. A little bit down, if I'm being honest, because it seemed like things were starting to open back up. But now things are looks like they're getting worse. The positive test rate's going up. The number of people infected is going up. So that's a little bit troublesome. Uh, United States is doing, seems like, worse than a lot of the world. So that's frustrating. But like we talked about in one of our episodes, uh, you can only control what you can control. So we only... We just have to react best we can. So that was kind of a long-winded answer. That's but. that's true. Well, it's that's inappropriate these days. But I like that you're calling back to, you know, maybe episode three or four when we talked about you can only control what you can control. To paraphrase, um, yeah. Well, I'm on fire because we haven't recorded in so long. This was the longest break I think we took. Maybe it was like three weeks. I feel like since we recorded. Um, yep. So yeah, look, yeah, I was and started to look for. I was on vacation last week, and and you know now I was looking forward to this. So I'm I'm in it. I'm in it to win it. How was your vacation? It was great. It was good. I'm guessing somewhere in upstate New York. Oh no, actually no, because um, Airbnbs are are thin and far uh, far and few between these days. Um, so we were originally gonna. We've been toying with the idea ever since the the pandemic hit of going down into Shenandoah Valley and and uh, Virginia, um, but um, we we looked at the, the Finger Lakes in upstate New York first, and we saw a couple places that didn't work out. So then we looked back down in the Shenandoah Valley for this vacation, booked the place, and then that place got canceled by the the owners. Um, and so then we found a place further down in Virginia, about six hours away from Philadelphia, on the border of Virginia and West Virginia. So it was a, a town called Warm Springs, which is, you know, maybe like 500 people population at most, um, just in the middle of basically nowhere um, in the mountains. But it was beautiful. Um, did a lot of like, you know, some hiking, chilling by the lake, um, a little canoeing, you know, so it was good. It was just Good to, good to get away, get out of the same four walls, so to speak, of our our condo. So, yeah, all, all said, it was like, it, it, was, it was a success. Cool, cool. A lot of good songs about Shenandoah. Maybe only one, actually, but it's been covered by a bunch of artists. Oh, has it? Yeah, I think Pete Seeger, Springsteen did it. Something about the Shenandoah Valley. Yeah. Well... And I did listen to um, quite substantially. We had a we had this this we were in this old brick building called a tannery, and I think it was from the 1800s for our Airbnb. And um, but like we had a it was cool. It had like a double decker porch on it, and the top porch had a um, 
like a screen porch with these old fashioned beds on it. And so like once it got dark and the bugs started to hit, we went up there and, uh, and started, you know, played some cards and had some drinks and then um, just like chilled out. And we had a stream in the backyard. So it was like this constant rush of, of water. So it was very relaxing, but point being, I listened to um, the new Dylan album quite extensively. Um, and, and I, I got into it at first. I wasn't into some of the singles he released, but, um, got into it quite a bit. Rough and rowdy ways. It is called. It's I, somewhere in his, I wish I knew off the top of my head. I think it's something like his 48th album. He's released albums in seven decades now. Pretty amazing. And yeah, I've listened to it quite a bit too. It's a cool album. Uh, he drops a lot of proper names in it. Like, I don't think I've ever listened to an album where there's just proper noun after proper noun after proper noun. Yeah, it's a little you know? Billy Joel, and we didn't stop the fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he, he even mentioned the band, the Eagles. Like, if you're, if you're running out of names and you're mentioning the Eagles in a song, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. But yeah, I, I agree. I like the album. It's weird and cool and sort of nice to have the old Dylan back a little bit from all of the 1920 standards stuff he's been doing lately. For sure, for sure. Uh, should we get to some mailbag questions? Yeah, let's do it. What's the mailbag must be piling up at your door? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this first one's a bit of a heavy one. Uh, it's from the Grim Reaper. So the Grim Reaper wants to know, how often do you think about death? That's a, that's a good question. Um, you want to take it first or should I? I'll go first. Uh, I mean, I would say I definitely think about it daily. That doesn't mean I'm, it doesn't mean I'm thinking about it for hours or I'm constantly thinking about it, but you know, it's, it's the most dramatic thing about life that time isn't going to last forever. And in a way it could be good to recognize it. So you use your time wisely, but you don't, you don't want to dwell on it because it could be paralyzing. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I don't want to tell the grim reaper too. I never think about death. I feel like he'd be offended by that, but so, yeah, I, I definitely think about it. It's always present. It's never, you're never, too far away from it. Uh, what about you? Um, well, I, I mean, I'm kind of surprised. You, you, I don't know. I, I guess I haven't tracked it, but like that you're saying, you know, daily, I definitely don't think it, about it daily. And I don't think, I think about when we say like, do you think about death? Um, are we talking about like our own death or are we talking about death in general? Like other people die. So I, I took it as my death or at least someone I know personally's death. Okay. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't take yeah. it as just like the fact that people die and oh, well, yeah, other I don't, beings die. I don't think about my own death barely at all. Um, I think about, I guess, I'm getting older and I would like to make sure I get maybe get some shit done. Um, but um, I think more about, you know, um, people in my life dying and, and, and how that will affect me and that kind of thing, I would say 
maybe more along the line of weekly, you know? Um, but I'm sure it crosses my mind depending on if you watch a movie, you know, or you see a news article and you think about your reflect, you know, I think that's the time, you know, when you're reflecting on things that it comes up. Um, was there another part of that question? Was it just, um, what, how often do you think about it? Yeah, that, the Grim Reaper is pretty direct. He just wanted to know how often do you think about death? Yeah. But I, we can, I can make up my own follow-up to it. Uh, do you think it's good to think about it, or do you think it's best to sort of push those thoughts away? Uh, again, I guess it depends on whether you're thinking about um, uh, your own or somebody else's, and if you're thinking about it in some sort of productive way, because obviously there's the dread, I guess, that could occur from that. Uh, which is can be paralyzing and not productive, but you know, uh, I think about it and think about, oh, I'm, you know, I'm actually going to turn forty in the next couple weeks, and so depending on you know the math, you know, I'm halfway through it, and have I done what I wanted to do? Have I, you know, has it been productive? Can I do something better with my life? You know, I definitely think about those things on a fairly regular. Try to figure out on a regular basis, how to kind of plot that line. Yeah, yeah, I kinda, I, when I think about it, I try to steer it in like a productive direction. Maybe like, hey, don't take everything so seriously. We're all, you know, we're here for, it's a long time in a way, but in the time of the universe, it's not that, that long, so. And when you think about it, like, you know, you're 40, I'm 38. When you think about how many days and hours we've already been alive, it's actually kind of long when you think about it. So we're <laughs> yeah. kind of fortunate in that way, in, you know, in the first place. So with the rest of the time, we should just sort of, you know, it's almost like house money, just and try and do good in the world, but enjoy it and all that type of stuff. Yeah, that's well, that's interesting. I had a, a, a friend and roommate who, you know, I, we were, I was commiserating with him and talking about something was bothering me and I was angry or, you know, troubled or whatever. And he's like, all right, man, well, worst case scenario, you're going to live to be 80, you know? So like you can deal with it, you know? And that was kind of like a way to look at like, you know, the, um, what is the way to put it? Like, you know, the, 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 the short there's there's a shortness to life that you know and i'm not that's it's kind of a little privileged way to say things because people have a lot have a lot worse things to deal with but like you know also you got to put it in perspective is like you know um you, can you endure it you know even if things get bad for um you know for whatever 80 years so you have to kind of balance the you know the notion that like things are bad now with the the like the idea that you want to live a long time, right? Because everybody, I, I don't know, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people want to live um, a long time. And so it, it helps put perspective on, um, on, on any trouble you ha have right now is like, well, it's an 80 year span and this is bad. And, but like, would you, what would you rather have, you know? So I don't know. I, I yeah. think it, it can be productive. Yeah, that makes sense. Like everybody in the app, you know, some people in the abstract might say, 
like I kind of like I just said, like, hey, I've already lived a decent amount of time, but that's in the abstract. Like nobody, well, not nobody, but definitely myself and most people, you know, want to prolong that as much as possible. That's why, you know, I cross the street when I see somebody so I don't catch coronavirus, you know? So, you know, there's a difference between thinking about it in the abstract and then, you know, you're scared at night because somebody's chasing you with a knife. Your instincts sort of kick in. Right. Yeah, I, wanna, I, I mean, I definitely want to live, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know. This may sound um, uh, arrogant, but like, I don't, I don't fear death. And maybe that's, uh, again, a, a privileged point of view because I'm young and healthy and I don't think I'm about to die. But like the notion of death is not, it's, 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 it's more about like, and I get maybe this is what when people say they fear death. I think people do fear death in the black blackness and unknownness of it, as opposed to like just like I would rather sp- spend time here. So I would say, you know, for a longer period of time, I would say I'm on the, the side of I just want more time here to do some stuff, have fun, hang out with people, as opposed to like the just the dark blackness. That's not really what you know. Um, that's not I'm not I'm not scared of that. It's it's weird and scary in some sense, I guess, but like, it's not, that's not what keeps me up at night. It's more about, can I be, can I do something while I'm here? And am am I being like productive? Am I being a good person? Can I, can I make something positive? And that is the thing that I definitely could probably improve upon as we probably all could. Yeah. The, the, well, kind of what you described as the darkness or the after dying in a way it's scary but in a way it almost sounds like a relief in a way it's like you know if if there's nothing it's almost it's such a weird thing to conceive like not existing assuming there's no afterlife but you know you're not you're not in pain you're not worried about anything so it's just this weird sort of neutral thing that's kind of well unless you're in hell because you could also be in hell and be tortured could be yeah. What do you what do you think? If you if you had a gamble on it, is there an afterlife? Let's or not an afterlife. Let's say there was a way to find out and you would win win or lose twenty thousand dollars. So what you mean an afterlife? What do you mean by afterlife? Do you mean something that kind of is similar to what we have here but is in a different world? Let's let's just say your conscience in some way. Like you're you're aware of your existence in some way. Oh. Oh, I wouldn't take bets on that. I don't know. So you're saying I have to take a bet on that. Um, I, it would be like so, like you know, fit. You're saying, is it pot? Like so, once you die. It's recognize like there's a recognition, your soul and whatever it is that persists recognizes your identity. Your your like identity is like still conceivable. Yeah, you're still conceiving your own identity. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go 51 percent chance. I'm gonna. It's, um, I think I'm just gonna go on that side. I'm just like an optimist, I guess. But it's it's no way. There's no to me. There's no personification. There's no, there's no fragments of the way that we understand this world. If, you know, so it's like totally an abstraction, but like that recognition could potentially be there. Um, but I'm not, I wouldn't, 
if I want to see, so, all right. So you're saying bet on it and make, how would you make money on that? So you gotta, um, I'm going to go with no, I'm going to go with no, no, that's not, if I want to, hmm, that's really tough. What, what, I'm going to kick it back to you and think about it. I would say, yeah, I would, if I had a bet on it, I would say yes, just because, just because when you think about matter, you know, starting with like the big bang, I don't know, like we don't know, we don't know when anything stops existing in any real, in any actual sense. Like we don't know, I don't, I don't see any reason to believe that a, a body that's dead, that's no longer living, it's, I think it still exists in some way. Now that doesn't, obviously that doesn't mean you can still perceive yourself, but so now I'm kind of talking myself out of it as I right. say it out loud. I've changed my mind. No, I'm going to say no. Well, I was, I was starting to go along <laughs> with you because I was like, well, like, all right, so why can we conceive our own? Like, because we have this, you know, we have some scientific belief, you know, evidence be, behind the belief that, you know, rocks are not cognizant, right? Or, yeah. Or conscious, right? And that we, we have reason to believe that, you know, dogs are not on the level we are because of the way they behave. And we can, you know, we can, we can ascertain that, that they're, they're not, they're, they're not on the level we are. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. So why, you know, so this comes down to like, what's like, why do we have this, this notion that we're so unique and, um, and, and that we do have this consciousness if it is, it's just, it's not persistent, you know, beyond this world. So, so that's the question. And it, it, I think it's very self-centered to believe that like, we are so unique that like, that like when, you know, our phys- physical body ends that we get persist. So um, I'm talking myself through this <laughs> so I can like, you know, make this bet that we are going to make. And so now I'm going to, wait, what was your bet? Your bet was yeah. I I ended up betting against it. Yeah, yeah. I would bet against it. It seems unreasonable if you think about like everything else and all. You know, like it seems unreasonable to make that assumption. It's only because we want it to be true. So, all right, our money is on that <laughs> we die and we it turns black. Right. Should we? Uh... What else is in the mailbag? <laughs> Well, why don't we go with the lighter one? Okay. All right. This is from Billy Bob on the porch at gmail.com. I'm assuming his name's Billy. He wants to know what is the perfect temperature for being outside? Um, well, Billy Bob, his question is not complete because it's not just the it's not just the heat heat billy bob it's the humidity so um i would say what's the perfect temperature and 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 dew point um and that i don't know i don't know my dew point well but i would say you know a good 74 degrees and not a lot of humidity would be the way to go for me what about you sort of close to that uh 
I think like a week or two ago, I was outside and it was 80 degrees, but it was dark. There was no sun. And that kind of felt like the perfect combination of temperature and whatever else was going on in the atmosphere. Just not, you know, it being a little bit warm, but not having the sun on me felt pretty cool. So, yeah, I would say 72 degrees and, 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 a, and a dryness in the air would be ideal. Um, the first time, this is why, you know, me and Bo got married in the Finger Lakes. The first time we went to the Finger Lakes, we went at the tail end of September. And we were like, I was hesitant because I was, I grew up in upstate New York. So I was used to like it being very hot or I mean, sorry, very cold in, in September. And I was like, oh, well, we're going to go to a lake and what are we going to be able to do? You know, but the, um, the, uh, the Finger Lakes have their own microclimate. Um, and so it was like 72, 70 to 72 degrees and like this dry, crisp autumn air at the same time. That was some of the most perfect weather I ever, I ever experienced. And that's why we, one of the reasons why we fell in love with the place. So like, I would say 70, 72, and I'll have to get back to you on the dew point. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, so th that's our, so why don't we cut it there with the mailbag for today and get to some of mm -hmm. our topics. Uh, please send us mailbag questions, everyone. If you have anything, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Grim Reaper, if you have any follow-ups to that, yeah, we're try here to, for you. Kind of, yeah, Grim Reaper, like, I get it, like, you're a Grim Reaper, but, like, you know, I'm sure you're into, like, music and stuff, so, or, like, comedy, or, I don't know. Yeah, give us some pop culture takes, Grim Reaper. What's, like, what's your favorite movie about death? That's a little bit more easily digestible. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I think the first... The first topic we were going to go after was um, this idea I had, um, an article I, I, I sent you um, from 538 about, um, you know, Americans' faith in, in science, right? Um, so uh, the, the article is titled, Most Americans Haven't Stopped Trusting Science, Scientists. Um, and so the reason, like, I suggested we talk about this was because obviously, um, you know, we're in a a national and, and global health crisis. And, you know, we see a lot of, a lot of stuff on the news and obviously, you know, the, the, the data shows that, you know, there are some troubling trends going on with uh, COVID-19 and uh, infection rates, uh, which would lead us to uh, believe uh, that it, people are not taking the health, um, the health experts uh, recommendations for being safe uh, during a pandemic. So, I mean, my take is like, and this has preceded, you know, the, the pandemic was that like, what, what is going on in, in this country where it seems to be that there is a extreme distrust of, of science and epistemic knowledge. Um, and, I guess before I get into it and like what the gist of this article is, I, I'm curious, Omar, if, if, if like you felt that same sense. I think I felt it a little bit less so in the sense that something has changed. Uh, maybe it has gotten a degree worse, but I don't know that it's dramatically changed. I immediately started thinking about 
you know, tobacco companies denying that cigarettes were harmful. Uh, good portrayal of it in the movie The Insider with Russell Crowe and Al Pacino. And then with climate change in, I guess that's kind of recent, but, you know, like the early, moving from the late 90s to the early 2000s. I think when there's a vested, especially a vested economic interest against something for a corporation, they will find their own experts. And I also think maybe the internet has made it easier to just find something to defend your position. Uh, you can, you know, when it comes to global warming, you can find the one or two percent of climate scientists who are skeptical of it or think it's not going to be as bad as the other 98%. But, you know, if you go on, if you go on, you know, conservative blogs, to the extent blogs are still a thing, you know, they will focus on that, you know, one to two percent of scientists who believe that. Uh, and I also think there's a general distrust of experts. I saw Dr. Fauci's questioning by the Senate and Rand Paul kind of personified this, where Rand Paul didn't really ask any questions. He just kind of, Senator Rand Paul, he just kind of ranted against experts telling people what to do. And I think that strikes a lot of people the wrong way in their gut, that there's these elitists using models, telling them what to do and what not to do. And it just really, and it just really bothers someone and that, that there, and that there's more wisdom just in common folks. And I think America has this more than a lot of countries, just the sort of like, independent streak, which is good in some ways. But when it comes to a global pandemic, it's not so good where people are just kind of like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my own determination about what risk I'm willing to accept. But the problem with that when it comes to a global pandemic is it spreads and you're, you're taking on more risk isn't just you taking on more risk, it's creating more risk for society as a whole. So that's, uh, what about you? I didn't read, you, you mentioned this topic to me, but I don't think you sent me the link to the article. So I didn't actually uh, read the article. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I thought I that's all right. didn't say the article. Yeah. So this is, you know, the article says the title is most Americans haven't stopped trusting scientists. And I, I'll just, you know, I mean, I guess for me it is a, this whole thing with the pandemic is a culmination of of other things. And I, I think it's, it may be easy to say, some people want to paint, you know, it, it may be easy to say that, um, oh, it's like red states aren't wearing masks and this kind of thing. But this, this, you know, you know, predates that in terms of, you know, we have anti-vaxxers and people against vaccines, which I don't know what the breakdown is in terms of like political distinction there. Um, but it seems to be it, it, both sides are, are untrustworthy of that. And then you talk about GMO, uh, you know, genetically modified, um, what is it? Crops. Gen genetically modified organisms. Or is that what that is? What is the yeah, I think it's organisms. But there, yeah. Yeah. another way of saying it would just be uh, crops. Yeah. So the, that falls, I think, on both sides. So which is, I, I think, and actually potentially more on the, on the left, which I, is extremely 
anti-science when it comes down to it. Um, so, because genetically modified crops, as you say, you know, have been around, that's the whole idea of, of making um, crops more productive for, for our benefit. So in any case, so this article though is talking about like, you know, this perception of like science being distrusted these days. And so like what, it, but it, this is uh, 538 for those are, are familiar. It's like a data science uh, website from, you know, helmed by Nate Silver. And, it, and I'm just going to kind of read a little bit. It's like the, the survey data suggests public trust in scientists is not actually eroding. In fact, it's gone up during the pandemic. And while that may be surprising, people watching the concern of anti-vaxxers and um, people who don't want to wear masks, uh, like coordinating, joining forces, the, the dichotomy between the perceived anti-science zeitgeist and what people actually tell pro, uh, pollsters is nothing new. So like they're saying, essentially, it's not as bad as it may seem. I don't know. I've been disturbed by, um, you know, and it, this ties also into not just anti-science, but also anti-facts which is, you know, what has been like Trump has been really uh, successful at, you know, being um, uh, vilifying the media and saying, you know, everything is, is fake news, right? So that if you, if you can say that everything that is, you know, factual is fake, then you can kind of define your own reality. So I think it ties into that, but, you know, I guess the research does show that, um, that and um, this is a good. I'll put this link in the uh, the uh, podcast description. Is that doctors and hospitals are actually the highest trusted um, entity on this, at least in this study, um, and they're at somewhere like ninety percent. And then scientists and researchers are really high up there. Uh, the CDC itself is is somewhere around eighty percent, depending on whether you're de- Democratic and or Republican. Um, state government somewhere along like 78% of the Congress, obviously very low around 50%. So um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I just thought it was, I don't know that I necessarily even believe this because I, I don't know. I see so much anti-science activity these days that it's disturbing, but I guess maybe this is reassuring data. Yeah. I wonder if there's a distinction between people maybe believing the science but not acting upon it. Maybe it's easier to believe in the science of wearing a mask than for some people to actually behave, you know, put it on. I don't know if the article got into anything like that, but. No, it's a pretty short article, but like, I think that's a good point is like, if you ask somebody, do you, do you trust doctors and and hospitals? They're going to say yes. Um, and do you trust scientists and researchers? And it's both of those things are, are north of 80, 85%. But that is, that's, you know, even, um, even here in liberal Northern liberties, um, that's, you know, I wouldn't say that people are actually even observing that at that level. Like, so like you're talking about behaviors is what people say and behaviors are often very different. So um, I think that's where the disparity is. Like, I think there's a far higher level of people not acting according to what the, uh, you know, 
hospital or you know the scientific and healthcare community are are uh, recommending. So I think yeah, the, the behavior and and reported behavior are definitely different. Yeah, while we're on the topic of anti-vaxxers, the thing that probably str stressed me out the most this week, and I kind of calmed down after I thought about it a little more, but uh, the idea that I, somebody asked Dr. Fauci about the poll that 67% of people said, yes, they would get the vaccine when there's, if when there's a COVID-19 vaccine, but one third of people saying they wouldn't or they weren't sure if they would. So, you know, having most people, a couple parts to this, having most people being in favor of just common sense facts and actions is still, can still be very troubling. But also the implication was 67% of people getting the vaccine might not be enough to create herd immunity because vaccines sometimes are only like 75% effective. So what he was saying is we really, really need to convince people the importance of getting it because if 80 to 85% of people take it and it's 75% effective, then that will create herd immunity. Or at least, you know, the more people who get the vaccine, the more likely it is to create herd immunity. So yeah, like it can have, especially in a pandemic like this, it could have very real really negative real world implications if if absolutely. people are dismissing yeah science. absolutely i mean and and that's like you know it has long like implications in terms of our health but also our economy um if we can just you know we're in, like right now we're like in this little lull and then resurgence we're not even in the second wave because we haven't had a any actual leadership from the top down, you know, if the CDC had been empowered to give directives that were basically mandates and people, you can't enforce them, but if you said federal mandate is this, statewide mandates are the same, boom, 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 and everybody falls in line or they don't, but that has not happened. So it's an absolute, absolute dereliction of duty. And so that's, to your point, like that's why people are thinking that they maybe not get it. I don't know. At this point, I guess it's like civilian enforcement. You know, we have to just go around or I don't know who to talk to. Like I'll tell some, somebody like, Hey man, you should get a vaccine. But like, it's absolutely absurd. We're living this. And this is like kind of my point, like bringing this up is like that if you erode the the these institutions of authority and people who are these experts in the scientific and and Trump has done this and 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 people have done this and then if you erode the 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 channels for information the media if you erode trust in that then people don't know what to do and if people don't know what to do they can't do the right thing and there's a lot of people that if you just tell them what to do they'll do it. And it's become this political thing. It's really, really disastrous. It's really, that makes me very upset. Yeah, one of the things I wish there was a better way that would be communicated to the public is I think part of what erodes confidence is uh, advice evolves and changes. And that doesn't mean people, experts were lying or they had bad intentions. It's just sometimes you get more information and you have to 
change what we're saying. Uh, you know, as it turns out, ventilators weren't as important to saving lives as we thought. As, as it turns out, you know, masks are more important than was initially stated. And, you know, with that, there may have been a little bit of, you know, the, the experts were being a little paternalistic. There weren't a lot of masks at the time. They thought it was more important for hospital workers to have the masks than people in the general public. But the evidence started to build and build that, hey, masks are really important to not completely stopping this pandemic, but to, you know, to making it safer. And I wish, you know, I wish there was a way to convince people who are skeptical of these things that, look, sometimes the advice the general public is being given is going to evolve and change. And that doesn't mean we should just throw up our arms and say, oh, what do they know? They don't know anything. Sometimes, you know, the, the, the facts we have change and we have to be flexible. Yeah. Yeah, true. But like, I, I don't think this is, I, I agree with you totally, but, you know, Trump has, has made this such by not, but he like by, by basically emasculating Biden and, 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 and not saying just like wearing a mask and saying this, wear a mask. This is a problem. Like just the entire, and I don't, I, I guess I'm preaching to, to you as the choir, like the, that's where the breakdown has occurred is that, that if people were just told like, this is bad news, we got to take care of each other and what you do matters. You should try to protect yourself and others and take these safety precautions. That's not a complex that's not a complex message. It's a simple message and it would trickle down. And because that's not occurring, it's a trap. It's a travesty. It's so right. If we, if, if we had both candidates running for president saying, Hey, wearing a mask is important. If you're in inside an establishment or you're outside within, you know, a foot or two of people, it's a, if we had both sides of the political spectrum saying, Hey, this is important, but when it becomes when it becomes a partisan issue, and not that everybody who's voting for Trump is going to lean towards the anti-mask, but if you know he convinces half of his supporters to be skeptical yeah, of it, that you know makes, them. right, it it makes a huge it makes a huge difference in a negative way. Yeah. Yeah, and imagine you know I was thinking about this the other day. Imagine if we had a president who said. Listen, I know many Americans want to go to church. I understand that. I'm sympathetic to it. But could you please just do virtual church for the time being as a way to help protect your fellow citizens? You know, instead, we have the opposite. We have a president turning it into a political issue, trying yeah. to think he's uh, going to it's going to help him, you know, get a couple points on the edges when really it's probably not even, you know, what would be best for him politically would be for the COVID-19 situation to get better, not to turn masks and going to church into these, you know, partisan issues, but. Yeah, and, and he's in, I mean, it comes down to it. He's, he's an economy guy. The economy would be better in 
October if if we we didn't like let Florida and Texas and Georgia just run wild if everybody was taking the personal responsibility um to 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 take care of each other. You know, this is like the thing, like, I mean, like I listen to Howard Stern and, and he talks about like, um, the sacrifice. It's not a major sac. I mean, like if we compare the sacrifice of world war two and what people had to go through, we're, we're all, we're, you know, that this is what we're talking about. Like sacrificing a little bit, like sacrificing some of your social engagements for a year. Okay. You can't see people. All right, whatever it is, but like, so that hundreds of thousands and potentially millions globally don't die. And that's like a thing that I haven't heard anybody at a high level talk about. It's like this notion of we are sacrificing. We're sacrificing for a greater good because we're all Americans and we can get, we can, we, we need to fight this together. And that's like, it's, it's so sad that that's not where we are. That's not the message. And it doesn't even take, it doesn't take the best president in the world. It just takes not the worst president in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, I empathize with people who have bars and other businesses that can't be open. But part of the problem is, you know, we're, we're a wealthy country overall. We can borrow money pretty easily because there's so much trust in the dollar, we could afford to we could we could afford to bail out bars and other businesses that can't be open during the pandemic. But instead, you know, the president wants he wants to put he, he wants to make it difficult for states to stay closed. So, you know, he want he because he wants everything open by election day or as much as can be open by election day. So, you know, there hasn't been as much forgiveness with that type of stuff as there could be. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's getting to a, a whole other thing, I feel like, but why not? Like, the, the thing is, if we had recognized what this was, which was pretty apparent in April, late April into May, that this was not a thing that you could say, okay, we're good now after like, you know, a couple months and then we're going to, of quarantining we, and we can reopen up. Um, if we recognize for what it was, we would say, okay, let's play this, this, let's play this conservative and let's bail out the people who are hurting the most. And those are the small businesses, you know, five to 10 to 15 to 20 employees we have enough money. There's enough money in this country. <laughs> we don't need to, yeah. like, if, if, the, if the, the downside is that they all go out of business because we, we, we can't patronize them, and the, there's two alternatives. Float them for six to 10 to, 10 to 12 months or, or patronize them in person. And, and we made, like, the, the government executive leadership made the decision to patronize them, and now it's going to ultimately be bad for not just their, their part of the economy, but every, every part of the economy. So it was the wrong decision. It, it should be like, we have plenty of money. We have tons of money. We have tons of money. I agree. I agree. 
should we move over to a related but slightly different topic about patriotism? Or do we have more on this? No, let's, let's move it over. I feel like I told you I was on fire this, um, at the beginning of the podcast. So I feel like we're, we're, just, we're, we're just pivoting a bit. Um, but let's get into it. Yeah, so I was thinking about the idea of patriotism the other day for some reason. I don't know how it got in my head, but just start with a general question. Why don't, why don't we start with this? What, what does it mean to be patriotic? Like, what is an act of patriotism? Yeah, what, what you know, how, how, how should patriotism man, manifest itself? Yeah, so... The, the notion of patriotism is so bastardized and it, it, it seems like people have obviously uh, taken that and made it some sort of dumbed down version of what it is. So I'm going to, I'm going to go to the, if I can get my internet to work, um, Go to the definitions, right? I can I can look it up. I have like eleven devices in front of me. So, all right, patriotism, equality of being. All right, so equality of being patriotic doesn't help us much. But right. devotion to and vigorous support for one's country. Yeah, so that sounds good to me. Um, so. You were kind of asking about, is it better to be, you know, supporting your country or, you know, think yourself more of a global citizen? I don't think that those things have to be, you know, those are like mutually exclusive because, you know, I can, I can care about my family and, and want to take care of them. And I, and I can care about my friend group and want to take care of them. So I don't think they're, they're mutually exclusive. Right. So, you know, my point before was like, there's, there's patriotism and there's patriotism as people, some people currently define it. So like, you know, I, I love the United States. I'm from the United States, but that doesn't mean like I can't be critical of of our nation or disagree with its actions. There's nowhere in the definition of patriotism that says you can't do those things. And importantly, to your point of like being a, a lover of your country versus a lover of, you know, a globe, you know, global humanity is that there's nothing that says you need to hold it above everything else above your nation above other nations. That's not the point to me is the point is like, Hey, I like this thing. I can, I can contribute to it and I can make it better. And in some cases it's, it has failed its aspirations. How is that not the same thing as being a human being? Like I always try to distill it down to take the group and distill it down to like a human being. And I haven't met a person, I haven't met a human being that hasn't, isn't able to be better than they are. So that's what a lot of people have problems with is this notion that if you're critical of 
of something that it means that you, you don't love it. But like, if you're a true friend or a true family member that you love, then you're, you're critical and you want to, you want to make it better because we're, everything is a work in progress. Right. Kind of like the idea that parents are critical of their children, but that doesn't mean they don't love their children. In fact, they love them more, you know, they probably love them more than anybody, but, and that, and that's why you, they go through the stress of trying to not perfect them, but make them better. And that's kind of, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I think about, like how patriotism should manifest itself. Like, actual actions as opposed to, I guess the only thing that off puts me about this definition is devotion and support are good, but I think actual tangible actions to try and make a place, the country you live in better are also important. Not that symbolism doesn't matter. It's good. Symbolism is good for culture and traditions and that stuff does matter. But I also think, you know, tangible actions to make your community and your country a better place are arguably more important. And yeah, I like the citizen of the world issue, which I brought up, I do think, I, you know, yeah, I agree with you that it's good to care about the outside world. We should, we should all, you know, especially with America being the most powerful country in the world, we should think about how American policy affects the outside world. But I think it's good for human beings to have culture, have identity on a smaller scale than the world, because I think it's probably harder to feel connected to the world as a whole than it is to your neighbors, the people who live in the same city, the people who live in the same nation as you. Yeah, we all, we all crave that. That's why we have these things, you know, and you know, we, we define our, our subgroups and our larger groups in a certain way. I mean, they make sense and they serve a purpose and there's, there's nothing, I I don't think essentially wrong with them, but what a lot of people believe is patriotism is this uncritical and dumb version flag waving and blind patriotism, which is essentially nationalism, right? So that's, that's, to me, that's the difference. It's like what people say is patriotism is just slapping a flag and saying, whatever we do is right. And so that's, I think, I think, I mean, it's, it's so weird that that's what we've arrived at, or in some cases have arrived at, because what, what, what are we, but a country, at least in some theory and some, you know, for some people was the notion that like, we're going to do something different here. We're going to challenge the status quo. Yeah, like being being patriotic doesn't mean, you know, you have to get into arguments or you have to feel that, hey, America's better than every other country. You know, America's better than other countries in some ways, not as great as other ways. And I think it's good to, you know, rec- recognize that nuance, not to just you know, people who are just constantly saying America's the best country in the world for this, this, and this reasons. And I understand why elected officials feel like they have to say that, but at the same time, like, I think it's sort of detrimental. And, you know, 
both Republicans and Democratic politicians do that go on and on about how it's the best country in the world when it's really, I think the better approach would be we love our country. We live here. We want to make it as good as it can be. We want to slowly improve it. Right. And, and politicians, the, the reason they seize upon it is because they, they see it's effective. And it's effective because people don't feel like they're, they have no agency. They feel like they don't have any agency in the world. And so if they can latch onto something that does provide agency for what they do, whether it's the country in, in the form of some sort of bastardized patriotism, um, but it also occurs like, you know, it's, it's so dangerous because these, this is where we have the worst things occurring is when we have wars that kill thousands of people because they're wrong, but enough people have gotten behind it because they feel some sort of agency behind that. Or we have things like the Catholic church where they're raping children and nobody's doing anything. We have, when you put this, the, the institution and this collective identity above the individual morality, we have these things that constantly happen. Catholic Church, Penn State, the, you know, um, the Boy Scouts, it goes on and on. If you elevate the institution and some sort of flag, some sort of weird group identity of, of, of mission above the individual morality, that, that is where I, I can't get on board. I think you have to balance your love of country with a humanism and empathy. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, anything else on this or should we pop on our maybe surprise special guest? Yeah, let me, let me, uh, one more thing on this. Um, sure. Yeah, so I was, I was Googling around on what we've been talking about in terms of patriotism and nationalism. And I came across something that was uh, interesting. I'm going to offer a caveat because apparently this was a soldier from, I believe, World War I. And it was from a book he wrote called The Remaking of a Mind, A Soldier's Thoughts on War and Reconstruction. His name is Henry de Man, I believe. He was a Belgian politician. He went on to be a Belgian politician. Apparently, he was also a Nazi collaborator later, later on. So I'll, I'll say that I don't condone everything he says. But he, I was reading this excerpt from this book he wrote. I was always as disgusted by the misuse of patriotism as a feeling of attachment to a particular type of civilization for the fostering of a political enmity against other nations and promoting militarism and imperialism as I was by the prostitution of religious feelings to the purposes of worldly domination. I was convinced that there should be the same difference between patriotism and the state as there is or ought to be between religion and church. Love of one's own country need not involve any hostility towards another country. On the contrary, if we be sincere and enlightened, it should, be, it should tend to strengthen the ties of sympathy between them. 
real patriotism as an inherent tendency to become universal, just as love of individual men and women helps one to love mankind. So, yeah, I, I really like the part about, you know, love of one's country doesn't have to, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember it exactly, but something you said there, love of one's country doesn't mean that you have to have a dislike for another country or feel like you're in conflict with another country and the two can actually sort of be symbiotic in a way. Uh, I think that probably doesn't necessarily come naturally to everybody, but I think it's something that if you say it to somebody, it'll probably click and, you know, they'll, they'll probably at least open to that idea. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good observation. And I like, I like the part where it says, like, the analogy that there's patriotism in the state and there's religion and the church. And those things are very different, you know? So what the patriotism in the state part, that part threw me for a little bit of a loop. Was he trying to say, did you interpret that as we should be patriotic as like a group of people towards each other, but not necessarily trust our government? Was that how you interpreted that part? Yeah, I interpret it as is patriotism as the the love for the the people within your country and for the 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 universal mission, mission as opposed to the institutional state just like religion it's you know, you know, scriptures and its ideals are are pretty solid but the the religious the uh, the church and this is a capital C church the institution of church and what that has been how that has been used for very negative ends those things can be separate so I've thought about that a lot in the context of religion I have no problem with religion and spirituality and even if people wanna uh, whatever they may believe in but it's the use of that for you know like um, militaristic and, and, and divisiveness and whatnot, you know, for religion. So like that was a thought I hadn't entertained necessarily this notion of patriotism devoid of the state, right? The institution, you don't necessarily need that to have a collective love and identity. Well said, well said. And I think that appeals to, you know, your libertarians, your people that don't, you know, love the state, whatever it may be. But let me go see if uh, our guest is, is ready. Okay. Hey, bro. Hi. Welcome to Plastic Cups Inside Paper Cups Inside <laughs> Plastic Cups. Thank you. I was just threatening, Dennis, that I wanted to be a guest. Well, we're excited to have you on. <laughs> Very excited you're with us. Although, my first question for you is, now, for those uh -huh. listeners who don't know, Bo is married yeah. to Dennis. 
I was a little bit sad when you told me the other day that you've never listened to an episode. What what podcasts are you I listening did, to? No. What podcasts are you listening to instead of us? Oh, stop it. No, I did listen to you guys after, you know, some time. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> and what did you think? I loved it. You guys are really entertaining. All right. Well, I'll take that. I'll take that. All right. Yeah. So, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. And I don't actually listen to podcasts anymore because I'm not commuting time. at all. And yeah. I, I don't have that any time in the car anymore. So, uh, but I did listen to you guys. I just have to, I have to put it out there and it was really good. So I'm proud of you guys. Okay, I take it back. I take it back. <laughs> so, more than any person I know, I think I think of you as like a wino, someone who's really, really into wine. What's what's the yes, best what's the best lockdown wine? Oh well, um, well, I have my favorite um, that I get shipments from from Napa, so. I think Dennis knows that I love Tank Winery. Um, it's called get, Tank. It's called Tank. Tank. It's called Tank Garage Winery. Is is the wine Tank? Tank. Oh tank. no, Tank. T A N K. Hey Dennis, I was wondering where you were. Oh well, you you're just <laughs> chef. It's Tank with a T, as in Tonka truck. Oh, yeah. it's not. It's not Tank. No. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, I mean I have my it's there's just so many wines I like. Um, but, I, I, to, um to be honest, I think a better question is Yeah. You know, I we've been drinking she both obviously been drinking wine, but that hasn't changed. But Omar, what has changed is like as became uh, a thing that you can walk up and get beer or drinks from bars is that we've been drinking margaritas. So, mm. so you might want to ask Bo who had a margarita this evening, like in Northern Liberties, what are some of the best margaritas? What's her margarita experience been? Okay. What's your, what's your margarita or mixed drink? <laughs> Best margarita or mixed drink to go in Northern Liberties? Well, well, margarita, I feel like we've had the best experience with El Camino, which we usually hate going there because, uh, you know, it's kind of douchey and I don't really like their food, but their margaritas are really good. Um, that's down by the piazza. And then tonight, I just walked down like just a couple steps to the 700 Quad, um, and they have frozen, just regular frozen margaritas, and it, you know it was really good. And I got a few out of that, or Dennis, I brought it back, and Dennis maybe like three additional margaritas from it. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I would so, say that that's the best margarita if you could take the margarita. No, it's not the best margarita. Make, no, yeah, I, I just I basically basically kept on adding tequila and other things. <laughs> it got better and better. And lime. Um, yeah, I think I think Dos Segundas got the best uh, margarita in the neighborhood. So we only had it once. So 
Yeah, and I agree that was better. Like you had the better one, because um, I got passion fruit and you got blood orange, and that yours was much better. I must admit. Cool. Yeah, for those of you who don't live in Pennsylvania, they changed the law during this lockdown that you can get uh, cocktails and mixed drinks to go. But so. You know, it doesn't make sense to do that if people aren't going to drink them in the street. Like, what's the point of getting it to go if you're not going to drink it while walking around? So I don't think technically that's spelled out in the legislation that you're allowed to drink it while walking around. But that's kind of the fun of it. I actually voted. You see today, so the neighborhood I live in, they're going to close down mm -hmm. five blocks of the main street for outdoor I saw that. drinking that's and awesome. dining. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that's and how would, so awesome. Yeah, it'll, it'll almost be like it. an outdoor sort of, I don't know, not festival, that's too strong of a word, but. Uh, yeah, don't use that word. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> outdoor experience type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, be cool yeah. They, would you guys be cool with that, with them doing that on your street or would you find that annoying? Yeah. I would be totally fine with that. That would yeah, be awesome. they should they should close down Second Street. They're already doing construction on the northern part of Second Street between Gerard, like just you know Gerard and I don't know somewhere. Um, so like they already had the opportunity. They've already closed out some of the street. So they should just close yeah. it down. We, we need to. We just need to like encourage people to not be, you know, like all like together you know so yeah the, the more outdoor things people can do it's probably the better yeah i agree i mean wait did you say it's this weekend that they're doing that down in passion i'm not sure when but i think it's going to be like a permanent uh -huh. thing for the oh, summer cool. once it starts it's not i don't think it's just like a, a weekend type yeah there are too many streets yeah. as they're like there's too many streets. We don't need so many streets. Jeez. Yeah, we don't need so many streets. Like, I've always thought the Italian market didn't need, it doesn't really need cars going up and down. Yeah. It. it could just be like a place where people are walking around. I agree. And of course, boxers jogging up and down with like trash cans <laughs> on fire. But Omar for mayor. <laughs> Write me in. If enough. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'd have the energy to run, but if, if I'm like against, <laughs> if, if there's enough write-in votes to just make me mayor, sure, why not? It's better than yes. my current job. You know, you don't have to actually run if you have to if you run for mayor. You can you can stay at home. Walk. I can walk can for mayor. Walk, walk for mayor. Yeah, I can just do Zoom calls, <laughs> Zoom interviews all day. <laughs> I would vote for you. Thank you, thank you. Would you would you be like a campaign aide? Yeah, like give, I'll, give me I'll some call, good political I'll advice. I'll be like calling everyone and oh yeah yeah no I don't want to call people. Um, yes, I want to advise you. That's fine. You could just you, you could just write down <laughs> the, like the notes on the note cards. So I want to co co-write your speeches. I know you're going to have your own ideas, but I want to. That's fine. I want to That's sharpen fine. them. You could sharpen my speeches. You could also be kind of like <laughs> my hat, my hatchet man. Not literally my hatchet man, but like, you know, 
find out who's disloyal, who I should burn. Oh, we're going to burn. That type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, politics has to be cut throughout at some point. He could be a sacrificial <laughs> lamb. Are you going to join us on Saturday, Omar? Uh, I don't know. This is the first time, this is the first time hearing of it. What's happening on Saturday? Um, Dennis didn't mention it. No, I didn't mention it yet, but of course Omar is invited. We're all going to... Um, so, yeah, we're going to hang out at 8th and Poplar um, on, on Saturday. Um, you know, just do a picnic, a socially distanced picnic, if you will. Um, so I think Dave and Emma are coming, and like some of our friends like uh, Kim and Mike and other folks are coming. All right. Well, I'll have to check my busy schedule and talk with my political <laughs> my political advisors for my uh, I'm mayoral your political explorer, explorer. Well, I have a lot of them. You know, there's some on the okay. exploratory committee who set things <laughs> up for me. So I'll have to see mm. if okay. I'm busy. Uh, All, right. All right. Well, we'd like to see your beautiful face. Yes, I miss your face. Miss you too, Bob. <laughs> Uh, All right. Was that? Do you have any other questions, Omar? Uh, one, one, last, one last question, Bo. Okay. For some reason, I'm really into numbers today. What's the perfect amount of people for a Zoom call? Oh, uh, I would say six. Six? Because, yeah, because otherwise, more than that, it just gets like, you know. People don't get to talk, and I don't know. You know, you don't really get to converse with everybody. Yeah, that, that seems right? like a good number. I, I yeah. what, what do you think, Dennis? Yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty good because the same reason that Bo said. Um, and I don't like being on a call where, like, people can't like. You just feel like you're like there's like people that who just hang in the background. There's people that dominate it once it gets to a certain point. I think that goes to you know even if it's not a Zoom call. I think the best you know eight six to eight is probably the best amount of people to hang out with. Like ten is too much and twelve is uh, a bridge too far. Ah, cool. I just discovered the mute thing because Dennis mentioned that he he muted himself, so now I can. Mute myself and take a sip, and it's really cool not have to work out making noise. But then sometimes I forget to mute myself, and I'm talking. So that that's a, I have to get better at that part. But Bo, thanks so much for joining us. This was awesome. Thanks, thanks for having me, you guys. Yeah. Bye. 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 All right. Well, that was cool. We had a surprise special pop-in <laughs> guest. Yeah. It's always nice to have a uh, a guest come by. Uh, the uh, it, it, a lot of people don't know that we are um, recording this in the Ed Sullivan Theater, so Bo just slipped in through the back door. Yeah, yeah, a lot. You know, a lot of you never know who's going to walk through the Ed Sullivan Theater. Yeah, you never know. So you know, we might get Letterman next time. Better listen. Yeah. All right, well, I don't know. Should we wrap up things there? Yeah, won't we wrap up things there? Thanks for listening, to everybody. Uh, we, we, covered, we covered a lot of ground. To be yeah, clear. yeah. I think we got to life, 
we got to death, we got to patriotism, what makes a country a place. I think we covered almost everything that's yeah, yeah. important to the human experience. All right, episode. well, yeah, so everybody go out there, um, celebrate the, um, the greatness of this country, um, but don't think that you're, or we are better than anything else ever. You're all dirt. Sure. Oh, one last thing before we go. Has there been more fireworks than usual leading up to 4th of July? Or yes. am I just noticing them more? No. I, the, <laughs> I yeah, feel like there's... every minute there's a firework. Well, this is, yes. Yeah, so this, it's, it's driving people insane. The, the thing I heard, I, I, have, I, haven't, I haven't like read any articles about this, but uh, my friend said that the um, fireworks companies have all these fireworks in their warehouses and they are, as they age, they became, they become more unstable. So they can't, they can't store them. It's not like something you could store for, oh, we'll wait until next year when everybody's having these get togethers. They need to sell this stuff before it becomes explosive, essentially. Again, not as substantiated. You do your own research, but that's what I heard. So they're trying to, they're just selling it at below cost. So people are like, oh, I'll eat that stuff up. Hello? Are you on mute? Oh, the mute thing again. The mute thing again. I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, you, this was dangerous knowledge you gave me. This was yeah. dangerous knowledge you gave me. Uh, yeah, that make, I was saying that makes sense because I was wondering if, if I was just noticing them more because I'm, I'm home all the time or if there was actually more. So that, oh, yeah, that sheds some fun. light on it. So. Yeah. All right. Well. Yeah, let's get going before I think of something again. <laughs> Yeah, no, nothing else. Uh, uh, happy 4th of July to you and to everybody else. Uh, you know, take up, oh, this is my two cents, take this time to think about what it means to be American and, and, and try, to, try to do the right thing. Yep, happy 4th of July to you, Dennis, and everyone listening. All right, peace out. All right. Peace out. Wait until the war is over And we're both a little older The unknown soldier Breakfast where the news is read Television children fed
Make a grave for the unknown soldier Nestled in your hollow shoulder The unknown soldier